0: If you are a first-time guest here, you are uh, deeply, deeply blessed uh, by the worship that we just experienced this morning. The Lord is good. Amen? If you have a Bible, get to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm sure you've spent a lot of time reading the book of Nehemiah. But if you haven't, you're in store for a treat. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin Barron. I'm the lead pastor here at Bayou City, Tomball. And we have started just last week a series in the book of Nehemiah. And I think it is incredibly important to study this book and not merely study this book, but do what the book says. Because as the word of God changes our life, we become the types of people God needs us to be so that we can change the world, amen? So let's read a little bit Matthew, or sorry, Nehemiah chapter two, starting verse one. I'll pray for us one more time and then we will jump into the message. Nehemiah chapter two says this, starting in verse one. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should I, my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that as we live our lives, you give us instruction, you give us guidance, you give us wisdom through your living word. And Lord, from Genesis to Revelation, from Old Testament to New Testament, you are the same God, and you choose by your grace to work in the lives of people. So Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, we study it, that you would be you would be moving in our hearts like you moved in the hearts of Nehemiah and the people of Israel to rebuild a broken place that you might be glorified and you might be known throughout the world. So Lord, we open up your word and we pray that you would open our hearts to make us to be the people you need us to be so we can do the things we need to do to honor you in this world. So we ask all of this, guide us, lead us, In your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, when Hiller and I just got married, uh, we had aspirational values, like aspirational vision for what our marriage would be. One of those aspirations was to be a camping couple. And so as part of our wedding registry, we asked for uh, camping supplies, and so they gave us backpacks, they gave us uh, backpacking bags, they gave us mats in which to to use, and and I won't share the first story of failure, but I'll share the second story of camping failure uh, that has solidified that we are not a camping couple, but we had an aspirational value, we had a plan that we would be a camping couple. And so, Hiller was in veterinary school at the time, and so she organizes this trip for us to go with some, for veterinary friends, to go camping on the beach, which sounds, in theory, amazing, right? You're like, oh, okay, couples camping on the beach, that's beautiful, and you immediately have this picture in your mind of, of a palm tree just laying perfectly, and two people on warm sand just enjoying the time, and so we had planned to bring our two dogs uh, and meet with our friends and go on this camping trip, and so we we go uh, to the luxurious North Padre Island, and uh, and so we get there. And we park, and we get our packs on, and we start hiking to where we are going to camp for, the, for, for a couple of days. That's the plan. We had packed food, packed stuff, and we're planning a couple days uh, camping on North Padre Island, the lush, vast, beautiful North Padre Island. And so as we're walking along, what we didn't realize uh, is that no one hikes to go camping on North Padre. They just drive their car open the trunk, and then camp. But we didn't know that. And as we start walking, all these people in their cars are looking at us like we're crazy as we're walking with our packs and our dogs in tow, but we're not to be swayed. We continue to go and hike past all the people that have driven to spots on the beach and opened up their car to camp. And we walk past all of them, a day's journey. And we, pass, we walk past all of them. And we start setting up camp in kind of a secluded area. And so we get... Um, I don't know, just different stuff opened but we didn't realize how windy it would be on the beach and that sand would get everywhere. I mean just in places you would never expect sand to get. So even as we're pulling out the tents, we're like the wind is blowing and the sand is catching. We're, we set up the tent, we get there, and then finally we set everything up, and then, and then we just kind of enjoy some time on the beach for a little bit. It's over spring break, so it's still cold. Uh, and, and so we get down finally to the first night. We made a little fire, we, we get to the first night, and, and we're laying down, and we actually even had a dog tent set up, right? We planned well for this. So we got the dog tent set up over on the side, and we have our two dogs that are going to sleep in the tent. And so we put them in the tent, but there's no way to stake the tent down. So as we're laying in our tent, uh, trying to have like a nice, like quiet little time here, uh, we hear this yelping. <laughs> And then we look out from the tent and we see this tent rolling down the way. The wind and the dog were just taken off and, and we're like, that's not right. And, and so we go and we grab it and bring one of the dogs into the tent and leave the other dog in the tent. So maybe, maybe one dog will be all right. Well, he starts yelping again. So we bring him in the tent and we spend the rest of the night with two dogs circling around our head, on top of our heads, on top of our feet in these vast circles around all night. And finally we get up the next morning we, come attend, we see our friends there and they're like, so how was it for you? And I was like, uh, um, horrendous. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, terrible. And, uh, and she's like, do y'all, wanna, do y'all wanna go? And we're like, yeah, we're done, we're done. And so we, we pack everything up, get breakfast and start the long defeated journey uh, back away from North Padre Island. That was our adventure. Great plan, great aspirations or great ideas. A very bad plan. Great vision, bad planning. Good desires with a bad plan actually will just leave you disappointed. And the reason I start there is because that's where we're at in the book of Nehemiah. We looked last week at Nehemiah and he had a great vision for what he wanted to do with the city of Jerusalem. His heart broke for the things that break God's heart. He sees that the temple is destroyed and the walls have been torn down he sees that his city, his home city, lay in ruins. When the temple is destroyed, that means that, that the, there's no worship of God. And when the walls are torn down, that means there's no protection for God's city. And the book of Ezra and Nehemiah walked through the process of how to rebuild what is broken. And we saw that uh, Zerubbabel returned and helped rebuild the temple. But there was construction stopped and the city still lay in ruin. And in chapter one, we see that Nehemiah hears that the city still lays in ruin, that the walls are torn down and there's still difficulty with the people. And so Nehemiah begins the process of praying and seeking what God would do. And we see in chapter one that God prepared a person, a broken person who took responsibility and humbly stepped forward. He had a vision for the reconstruction of the city, a vision for what could happen to this broken place. But we all know vision without a good plan will never work. Will Rogers, a comedian and actor, famously said this, a vision without a plan is just a hallucination. I love that line. A good vision has to have a good plan. And here's what we're gonna see in this next section. We're gonna see the vision that God gave Nehemiah to to think through actually had a lot of prayerful preparation in order to move to execution. If God's gonna do something great, what he needs is not just great ideas, not great aspirations, but a well thought through plan. And so, what we're going to see in chapter two are four movements. The first is prayerful preparation. Secondly, faith filled risk. Thirdly, honest evaluation. And fourthly, building buy in. And let me just say in passing if you're leading anyone in anything, the steps you need to take are the steps that Nehemiah takes. The word of God is actually extremely practical. So, if you are leading a business or you're leading a team or you're leading your family, these are actually the steps you need to take along that process prayerful preparation, faith filled risk, honest evaluation, and building buy in in the community. And you watch Nehemiah walk through the process of putting his vision into action. And so, it begins with this his prayerful preparation. Chapter two, verse one, says it this way. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of the king Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in the king's presence. Last week, we saw that Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. The role of a cupbearer was to taste the wine before the king drank. And so the, the cupbearer was a trusted position, but it was not a permanent position. Because if someone was poisoning the king, the cupbearer would do his job, which was take a swig and die, right? And at that moment he had proximity, but he did not have permanence. And so he was taking this moment to stand before the king and he had spent four months in prayerful preparation. The month of Chislev, which we saw in chapter one, to the month of Nisan, where we see in chapter two, four months have transpired. Four months when he's been praying for the city, four months when he's been begging God to do something, four months of prayerful, and what we see, not just praying, but he spent those four months preparing. And here's something that Nehemiah knows that we all need to know. If we fail to plan, then we plan to fail. If we fail to plan, then we, pl- then we should plan to fail. Um, uh, Abraham Lincoln said it this way, give me six hours to chop down a tree And I will spend the first four sharpening the ax. What's needed for God's people isn't just a great idea, but a great plan. The people that God uses most effectively aren't ones that just say, someone ought to do something and run there and charge. They are people that prayerfully prepare before they do anything. I learned this running in college. I ran track in college. And as I was preparing for every single season, I would have a meeting with my coach at the beginning of the season. And he would sit us all down and he would ask us the question, what do you want to accomplish this year? And we would kind of give our goals, our desires. We'd love to see this happen. And then he would sit down meticulously and and, uh, plan out every workout, every meet, everything that we would need to do to prepare for the achievement of our goals And in each week he would say, okay, are we on track? Are we doing the right things? Have we prepared well? And Nehemiah in this moment, he is about to stand before the king, the most powerful leader in their day and age. This this king was extremely powerful and he needed to prepare well before he was going to make the ask. And so sometimes people think that spirituality, spirituality means that you you don't really prepare. You just pray and hope. And sometimes I even hear people say that, like, well, if God's in it, then it will just happen. As if if God is just waiting for someone to pray the right prayer, and then all of a sudden everything's laid out. That's actually not how God works. He asks his people to prayerfully seek him and to think through what it would look like to execute this vision. God blesses people's prayerful plans. And here's the contrast. It's not people that just hope that something will happen. And it's not people that pray their way or prepare their way away from God. It's not that I have all of my plans and I hope God blesses them. And it's not that I sit on the other side and just pray and hope that God does something. It's actually this amazing combination of prayerful preparation, prayerful planning that God blesses. And so he spends four months praying, and preparing, and he knows that he's going to have a moment before a king, and he better be ready. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says this, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Nehemiah was a man of skillful preparation, and because he was a man of skillful preparation, skillful skillful prayer, he knew that he was gonna be ready when he had his moment before the king. And what's fascinating is, I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit. You see his plan laid out. In verses four through eight, you see that he thought through every detail needed to move to this city and rebuild this wall. The city lay in ruins and he's like, something needs to be done. And he spent the the next four months praying and preparing for this moment. And so in verse four, the king said to him, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. See, prayer is never far from Nehemiah's thought. He's prayed to the God of heaven. He is constant in prayer. And then he begins to describe what he needs. So I said to the king, verse five, if it please the king, And if your servant has found favor in your sight, then send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. He communicates with clarity the problem before the king. He says, here's the problem. The city lay in ruin. The city of my father's lay in ruin. And I'm asking you, and he's clearly asking, he's not sidestepping, he's clearly asking, I want you to send me to this city to rebuild it. It's beautiful when someone speaks with clarity with what they want. He's not hiding his motivations. He's not hoping the king will figure it out. He's clear. I wanna go there and I wanna rebuild it. Verse six, and the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a definite time. If you're in high school and your parents ask you, where are you going and how long will you be there? It will please them to give your parents a definite time. Why do they always say no? Because I never gave them a definite time. I don't know where I'm gonna go. The king asked, how long will this project take? And he said, it's gonna take this long. It's gonna take this long. He gave him a definite time. See, clarity brings support. Do you want to sway your boss at work? Don't tell him everything that's wrong. Come with a clear plan. Do you want to sway your parents at home? Come with a plan. Do you want to sway anyone with authority? Come with a clear plan. Because clarity, clarity wins the day. If you want to lead people well, you have to be clear in your expectations because people have to see what you're talking about. Clarity wins the argument. Um, several years ago when I was leading college ministry in, in, um, in, in College Station, uh, there came a, moment, a point when the college ministry was growing and we were being effective and reaching students and more were coming to our, our worship services on Sunday morning and it was great. And we're getting to the moment where we needed to, to, to think about how we're gonna go to a new space or, or expand the space that we were in and so there's all these ideas that were floated out. Like, okay, if we raise like, I don't know, twenty $20 billion, we could build a new facility and do that. And so like all these things are being laid out there. And I'm like, I, just, I don't, none of those sound right. We didn't have the space to build something new. Uh, youth also used that space. It, was, it just wasn't gonna work. And so I remember at one point, I'm sitting uh, in the parking lot with uh, one of the other pastors who was um, over, um, over a lot of uh, the ministries there at, uh, at Grace. And I, I said to him, I said, hey, um let's just look across the street. We looked across the street and the high school was across the street. Everyone was parking at the high school to walk over to the church. We're using the parking lot anyway. I looked over the high school and I said, hey, I think we can use the college ministry. I think we could meet over there. They have an auditorium that seats like 500. I think we'd be fine if we just met over there. And he looks at me and he goes, that sounds great. I just don't know that that's gonna happen. And so over the next several months, we have these, all these like dialogues. Of what can we do with the college ministry? Work with me. What can we do? And at a point, I just get frustrated. I'm like, I am tired of this meandering dialogue, right? Have you ever been there? Where everyone's going, hey, should we do? I don't know. Should we? I don't know. Maybe we should. I don't I'm just getting frustrated. I'm like, fine. I'm going to come up with a plan. And we will either move forward by buying into the plan or we will reject the plan and then we will do something else. So like, let's just move forward. And so I spent time in meticulous detail with people that knew more than me to plan out what it would look like to run a college ministry across the street at a high school, set up, tear down the whole thing. And so we, we had people that knew how to buy production equipment and what lighting we would need, what sound equipment. So I was like, hey, what do we need here? We start building out those plans and other people that knew about signage. And I'm like, okay, what signs do we need? Let's build out those things. And I'm talking to all these different people that all these different skill sets, putting this package together. And then I went over to the school and I took pictures of every space that we were going to meet in. I went, here's the auditorium, here's the outside, here's the inside. And then I Photoshopped signs in every location. Here's where we put the go this way sign. Here's where we put the welcome to college ministry sign. And I went through and put a picture and I put together this proposal and I sent it to Trey. And I said, Trey, I don't know that we wanna move over there or not. But if we're gonna move, here's the plan I'd propose. And if we're not, let's quit the conversation. And he looked at the plan And they sent it to several other pastors that all had decision-making authority. Brought them all together in a room. Said, Kevin, present your plan. And so I start walking through the details. And at a point, one of the pastors there was an engineer. And so at a point, uh, we get to the number of signs that we need and the cost per sign. And he goes, stop. He goes, we're going to do this. And, I was, and it completely turned the conversation. All this pushback and it completely turned the conversation. He goes, we're going to do this. This is what we need at the south of campus. And after the meeting, I went over and talked to him. I said, I said you, you, it's not that you were ever against anything, but, but why did you suddenly move to support this at this point? He goes, because you thought through every detail. <laughs> you thought through everything that we would need to do. And I knew at that moment, we could trust you to execute Do you wanna lead something? Do you wanna see God do something in your life? You can't hope your way to success. And you can't just come up with a plan and hope the plan gets you there. It's prayerful preparation. It's prayerful preparation that that God chooses to bless. He goes, I'm gonna go this, and it's gonna be this amount of time to do it. Verse seven, he says, and if it please the king, let letters be given to the provinces beyond the river that they may pass through until it come and let a letter be given to Asaph to the keeper of the king's forest to give me timber to make beams for gates of the house and the fortress of the temple and the city wall and for the house which I shall occupy. I'm gonna build myself a house while I'm there too. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon him. You see that, the combination? It's deep prayer and it's thoughtful preparation. Do you want your family to go in a different direction? Do you want your kids to love the Lord? Have you planned out how you will will invest in their lives so that they can live differently? Do you want a better marriage? Do you hope 2021 will magically make your marriage better? I hope it does. If you prayerfully prepare for a better marriage, you wanna be able to share your faith You wanna be able to go to that neighbor that doesn't know Jesus and share your faith with that person? I want you to be able to. Have you prayerfully prepared so that you're ready for that conversation? God often waits, not just for your prayers, but for your preparation to strongly support. The, The hand of God supports those that start with prayerful preparation, but not only prayerful preparation. You see a second piece to this that he has a faith-filled risk. See, everyone that walks with God will face a moment of risk. There will come a moment when your plans, your thoughts for the past four months will be put to the test. And that's what happened with Nehemiah as he prayerfully thought through all of these details. He's got spreadsheets, he's got schematics, he's got all these things laid out and he has that moment before the king. And and at that moment, as he stands there, he had never been sad in his presence. And here's what he says in verse two. The king asked, why is your face sad, seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. There there always comes a moment in our lives when we're thinking through, this is what we want to do, and that, that moment is a moment of testing, and that moment is a moment of fear. See, it says that Nehemiah never let his emotions show before the king. See, the king, when you stand before the king, you're always happy. And it's likely that there was a party going on. Wine was before the king. So he's serving wine. He's standing before the king. And you're supposed to be happy and joyous before the king. You're not supposed to look sad. He had never let his emotions show. And it seems that Nehemiah was thinking through, okay, this might be the moment. And as soon as he let his emotions show a bit, the king picked up on it. And the king asked him, hey, what's going on? What's going on? Why, why are you sad? What's happening? What's happening? And at that moment, he says, I was very much afraid. See, there comes a moment when preparation meets risk. When your opportunity, when your planning meets reality. And when your planning meets reality, let me tell you what that moment is. Fear. I remember when I was in seventh grade, I wanted to be in a play. And I had my part, I was a dad, in this play. And all throughout the uh, preparations, like all throughout the rehearsals, I was so uh, just like expressive and fun and bah, I, would, I would just be out there, right? And then a moment came when we, the performance was had and, and so I have my moment, and I have one short little line that I deliver and I get up there and I look at the crowd and I freeze. And I deliver my little line and I walk off couple years later I had another moment in a high school speech class I prepared my talk I stand before the people my class of my peers intimidating like 14 15 year olds right and I totally freeze and I just read I remember in college ministry my first time to speak in college ministry we're leading a trip uh college ministry trip down to to Mexico And uh, each one of these uh, college seniors would prepare like a little message to give, a little devo, and I'd prepared my little thing, and we're sitting before I'm about to deliver, and we're all praying, and each guy had delivered its own little thing. And as we're praying, um, it was just so ridiculous, Um, just inside into my heart. It was so ridiculous that we're praying. I'm giving like a 15-minute deal. I'm freaking out. And as I'm sitting there praying, I go, God, you spoke through a donkey. You can speak through me. And at that moment, one of the sharper wit guys in the group says, uh, which one of us is the donkey? And I was like, oh no, it's totally me. Like in that moment, there's that terrifying moment when all of a sudden I've got to stand up and I've got to deliver and, and I just feel totally inadequate. God in his grace will make those moments when, when your prayerful preparation meets a faith-filled risk and you've got to step forward. And we wanna be a church that is willing to risk. That every Christian would be willing to say, you know what, I'm gonna be used. I'm gonna pray big prayers. I'm gonna expect great things of God and I'm going to attempt great things for God, says William Carey. But Andy Stanley says this. He says, I think it's safe to assume that most Christians are not attempting anything that requires God's intervention. They're not looking for God to do anything special. They're not aware that they need him to do anything special. They are trusting that he will step in once they breathe their last breath. But other than that, they live as if they have everything under control. How do you live? Do you live your life as if everything is under control and God will step in when you die, you got your ticket to heaven, that's great, but the rest of our lives are spent living, living a safe life with a safe job where we will die in a safe hospital. Are we willing to say, God, I believe that you're the king of the universe. Amen? And God, I believe that you own the sheep on a thousand hills. Amen? And God, I believe that you can do something great, and I believe that you might use me, and I am willing, I'm willing to just take a jump. And here's the thing about God God is a loving dad who loves you. And what seems like a big risk to us is not a risk to, to God. So, remember the first time you ever jumped into a swimming pool, you were a toddler. You're going to the edge of the pool, and it seems so deep. It's like three feet deep over there, and your dad's over there, like just standing there, like "Come jump, buddy." And what do you do to your dad in that moment? You start asking clarifying questions. You're like, um, "Are you you're going to catch me, right?" Yeah, buddy. You're like, um, "Are you strong enough?" I've gotten bigger, right? I've gotten a little bigger. Are you strong enough? Yeah, yeah, buddy. Like you're maybe 40 pounds, we'll be okay, right? And you're like, daddy, okay, okay, I'm, I'm jumping, I'm jumping. And then finally, you take the plunge. And what does a good dad do? Oops, <laughs> oh, I didn't know, it was so heavy. You know, like, what, is, what does a good dad do? What does a good dad do? Not what you did. Do. what does a good dad do? Just kidding. They catch the kid and the dad celebrates the jump, right? God is a good loving father and he puts us in moments of risk. Why? Because then your prayers get passionate, right? Are you gonna catch me? It means your dependence grows deep. You're, you're ready for me. You know I'm a little bit heavy. You know I've got kids, family stuff. And it means your focus becomes sharpened. Okay, I'm ready. And oftentimes God leads you into risk so that you will become passionate, deep, and focused. He lets you risk so that your eyes are fully on him and you're ready to go. And there's moments in our life, if we wanna be used by God, where we prayerfully prepare and we know there's a moment when we have to jump and God has us, amen? He's a good God who has us in our risk. And so Nehemiah says, okay, I'm gonna make the request. And the king says, yes, go. And then he hits the ground. It's about an 800-mile trip from Susa to Jerusalem. 800 miles of conversation. What am I going to do once I get there, and when he gets to the ground, here's what Nehemiah does. He takes an honest evaluation of the circumstances. Verse 9, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with his officers and an army of horsemen, but Sambalat the, the Hor- Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite's uh, servant heard this. It displeased them greatly. We're going to talk about more about them in coming weeks. But he travels to the city. And when he got to the city, verse 11, I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. And I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went to the fountain gate into the king's pool. And there was no room for any animal for me to pass. And then I went by night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and I entered the valley gate and so returned. And so what Nehemiah does first is he assesses every detail of the damage. He goes and says, okay, here's what I've heard. Now let me go inspect and see everything that's broken down. And he went to every broken gate he went to every part of the broken wall. He inspected every part of the city. And here's why. Because he had a plan 800 miles away. He was not on the ground and he needed to go to every spot on the ground and look around and say, where's the broken pieces? Where, what are things actually like? Let me meet the people. Let me hear from them. Let me understand everything that's going on around this section. He wanted to see every detail before he came up with his plan. And this is a lesson I've had to learn in my life. Sometimes people will come to me with a question, like, like my wife or a friend, and say like, hey, um, hey, what would you do in this situation? And then I just like espouse eloquently, oh, here's what I would do. And they look at me, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they say, I've tried all of that. And I'm like, oh, you do this and that, and that, and that. And they look at me, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. None of it worked. And I'm like, oh. I should have asked more questions than I supplied answers. I should have assessed the damage properly, asked more questions than I supplied answers. And that's what Nehemiah did. He didn't come with a grand vision of what he was gonna do. He says, I'm gonna look at every detail. And it says, verse 16, this is very wise. And I had not, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not you know, I told the Jews and the priests and the nobles and the officials and the residents the work that I had planned to do. He says, I took my time and I didn't come with a grand vision of everything that I was going to do. I took prayerful consideration. I walked the city and saw what was wrong before I would announce what I would do. That's that's wisdom, an honest evaluation of the circumstances. So many people, let's get real practical. So many people have asked me as I've come to Bayou City, Kevin, what do you plan to do here? What's your vision for this place? And um, gently, I've sidestepped every one of those asks. And if you've had conversations with me, you'd be like, what do you wanna do? And I've been like, that's a great question. I'm praying about it. And I am praying about it. And it's not because I don't have an idea. It's because I don't wanna offer solutions to false problems, amen? I don't wanna offer ideas without knowing the people. I don't wanna cast a vision that's maybe already happening in certain pockets. I wanna actually see what's going on. And so what I've done intentionally, just so you know what your pastor's doing, I'm taking a lot of coffee dates because I wanna hear your story and I wanna hear what you're dealing with in this city. And I wanna know you and I wanna assess the damage before we move forward with a plan. And so over the past several months, I got here in, um, in July 1 was my start date. And the church wasn't meeting, okay? So just, it was awkward. And then we started meeting and it was just pockets of people that were comfortable coming back and not coming back. And so there's a lot of questions that I was asking. I was like, well, who's here? Who is Bayou City Tomball? Who are the people? And so I've tried to prayerfully meet as many people as possible, know their stories, know their relationships, develop better relationships with the community, And and then, a couple months ago, right before Christmas break, we had a vision night. And the purpose of the vision night was simply this. Here's what we want to start to do at Bayou City Tomball. And it wasn't amazing. And the reason is this. Every church has the same mission. We have one king. And he's called his play. And his play is clear in Matthew 28. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you all the way to the end of the age. Every church has the same play called. The question is, how are we gonna run that play here? How are our people gonna do Matthew 28 here. And so I know that God has called me to make disciples of all people in all nations, and I know he's called me to do that here. The question is, how is God gonna lead us to do that here? And what's been fascinating is I've had lots of conversations with people is that sometimes we try to complexify the mission, overly complexify things, because then we'll sound smarter when we do it. But simply this, are you intentionally making disciples are you obeying the command of God that he gave to us and so how do we do that well the first is this am I a growing disciple of Jesus Christ and am I secondly making growing disciples of Jesus Christ and then thirdly am I multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ my goal isn't to have my own little corral of people that all look to me for advice that's worthless Jesus didn't do that right He didn't say, it's gonna be great when I have this 12 and we'll sit there, we'll keep on talking, we'll sing Kubaya, it'll be absolutely amazing. That's not what he did. He says, you come to me and I'll train you and I'm gonna send you on mission. You come and learn and then you go and you do the types of things that I've been doing in the world. And so every church has the same mission. Nehemiah knows what it looks like to rebuild a wall. Lots of walls have been made. But what he needed to do was to unify a people to build a buy-in to accomplish that mission. Walls are easy to construct, right? You probably have one in your yard. You can build a fence. But what Nehemiah needed was buy-in. And so he goes and surveys the land, and then he launches his vision. Verse 17, Then I said to them, You see the trouble that we are in, how Jerusalem lays in ruins and its gates are burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good and also for the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said to me, let us arise and build. So they strengthened their hand for the good work. He builds a guiding coalition. John Cotter wrote a book, he's a Harvard professor, and he wrote a book called Leading Change. How do you lead change? And he he lays out eight steps to lead change. What's fascinating is, I don't know if he did this or not, but if Cotter would have just read Nehemiah, he would have saved saved a lot of time on, on research, right? So he was a Harvard professor, tons of research, great book, but here's what he says. Eight steps, create a sense of urgency, build a guiding coalition, Form a strategic vision and initiatives. Enlist a volunteer army. Enable action by removing barriers. Generate short-term wins. Sustain acceleration. Institute change. That is what Nehemiah is gonna do. He assesses the problem. He starts building this coalition. I'm building buy-in of people. And he says, let's build the wall. Here's the problem. The walls are down. We're in ruin. Here's the mission, we're gonna rebuild the wall, and let's identify the participants, who's gonna be in. That's buy-in. The vision for Bayou City Tomball is Matthew 28. That's it. We're gonna make disciples of all nations. We're gonna make disciples, and I gave us three words to hold on to. Here's your three words, initiate, invite, and invest. And the reason I chose those words is because they assume that we have action. We're gonna initiate relationally. That means we're gonna look at where we live, where we work and where we play. We're gonna look at where we live, our, our home community. Are there people that God is working in their hearts and I'm gonna initiate relationally with them for the hope that I might be able to share the gospel or number two, I'm gonna invite. I'm gonna invite them to my church or to my community group. I'm gonna invite them into relationship where God can work and I'm gonna invest. I'm going to make a disciple. I'm gonna love them like Jesus loves them. I'm gonna teach them the word of God and I'm gonna be part of the great multiplication, Acts 1.8, where they go and make more disciples. We are gonna do this as a church. We're gonna initiate, invite, invest. That is how we build the spiritual walls. And why, why there? Well, the walls of Jerusalem were a symbol of two things. The broken walls showed that there was no protection and the broken walls showed that the people were not worshiping God there's a lot of broken walls in Tomball there's marriages that are broken there's poverty there's there's social hurt it was tragic just this couple weeks ago there was a, a student at at Tomball High School that committed suicide there's a lot of brokenness here people And I believe, and I hope you believe, that Jesus Christ is the solution to every problem. He is. And what's needed are God's people to take Jesus to their city. That's what Nehemiah did. He took Jesus to his city. And so last week, the challenge I called us the two weeks of prayer and fasting, that you would be praying for our city, for our nation, and for our church. Would you be praying for, for Tomball and the surrounding area? Would you be praying for our nation, all the brokenness that we're facing? Would you be praying for our church, that we would become the people God needs us to be so that we could do the things God's asking us to do? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna issue our next challenge today. Here's a map of your city. Google Maps. Thank you, Google. You have it on your phone. Don't worry. Here's my challenge to you. Nehemiah had a vision to, to help his city to rebuild the brokenness. I hope you have a vision to rebuild this city of Tomball. And my challenge to you over the next couple of weeks is to go drive your city. Go drive some neighborhoods you're not familiar with. Go to the other side of the tracks, whatever those are. Go to those places that are hurting and broken. Go to those places that are rich and prosperous. I don't care where you go, go to those places because I tell you what, whether you are economically impoverished or economically well off, there is still brokenness, amen? And both people need Jesus. And so my challenge for us is to go prayerfully drive the the streets of Tomball, um, Magnolia, Klein. where you're driving from. What's your region? Go prayerfully drive. And as you drive those areas, be praying for the people that you see walking. Be praying for the kids that you see uh, playing. Be praying for the kids that you see there, the families that you see there, the people that are there, the homes that are there, that God would be stirring in their hearts so that they might be able to receive the gospel. As a staff, uh, right before the Christmas break, we went to several new areas that are building new homes in the city of Tomball. Billy led us over there. It was amazing. And we went and prayer walked to certain areas. We actually met um, someone who was the contractor kind of leading that area. And and he asked Billy, what are y'all doing here walking? And Billy said, "We're, we're praying. Do you need prayer? And that man said, I've never seen anyone do that. He's just surprised that anyone would be walking his streets praying for the people that would be moving to that community. God can do great things in this city, but what he needs are his people to say, I'm ready to be used. And I'm ready to go drive in the name of Jesus and start praying for my city. And the Spirit of God blesses the willingness of God's people. Your students that are in the high school, uh, ju- or sorry, junior high ministry and the high school ministry, they're going to get a card like this, parents. And it's actually a challenge for them to prayer walk their schools. So as your kids are going to be walking their schools, we're asking that they would be praying that that God would be working in the hearts of students in their schools. Why? Because they need Jesus. It's very simple and very practical and if God's people start moving the way God is moving we will see life change and growth and salvation in people's lives amen I'm so excited to see what God's going to do at Body City Tomball and as we join together God will do great things in our midst and it's not because we have a great plan it's because we have a great God amen would you pray with me Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you called us to be your people. And thank you, thank you, thank you that you have a heart for this city that's bigger than our heart. You know the brokenness in our city. You know the brokenness of each family. You know the brokenness of each um, community. Lord, there are people that are dealing with major mental Health struggles. And Lord, help us to be the people of God that reach into their lives. There are people that are dealing with major financial struggles. Help us to be the people that move lovingly into their lives. There are people that are dealing with all sorts of issues. And Jesus, you are the answer. So Lord, help us to be your people and to move into this city and love them that they might know you. And Lord, I pray in expectation of the many people that are gonna turn to Jesus Christ through the work of your people. We love you, we love you, we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen.